podcast. It stands for Discussions of Guidance. I'm Mike Deeth with Kiss Dog Training, and I have Emery Kittle here with Nature Select Dog Food. And today we are going to answer some, I guess, reader, listener, fan questions that we've gotten from the Facebook page and through some emails. That's right. And we're going to just take it away. Um, Follow us on Facebook, pretty please. Let us know what you want to talk about. I know as 2022 kind of comes around, we're going to be even looking maybe for some guests to be on. The only requirement is you're going to need to be involved somehow with dogs somewhere so how are you doing today emory doing great thanks yeah we've been uh, just working 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 trying to build out our new location so that's i know tell us tell, tell a little bit about that what you you're kind of expanding we are yep uh we're moving to a retail spot we've been in a warehouse district and um so we've did kind of an incubator for a kansas city grooming academy right we have our puppy parlor grooming and our uh, our pet store so now we're moving over to uh on west 87th street in lenexa that will be pretty cool yeah all right um as we go we're gonna start asking some questions um i'm gonna start with a really crazy one okay biology 101 i guess <laughs> are dogs carnivores ah are dogs carnivores that's seems to be the age-old question that people always ask about dogs um Dogs and cats, yes, are both carnivores. Some people will say dogs are an obligate carnivore, which means whatever they come across, they'll eat. And in some um, aspects, that's true. But one thing about dogs is um, that they have a very short digestive tract. And in order for them to digest things properly, um, it's best if they have enzymes in their saliva that starts to break things down. And what they have in their saliva is the enzyme protease, which actually is what you use to break down meats. So that lets me know that they were, from the beginning, a carnivore. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, but that doesn't mean that they can't handle some grain. That's kind that's of right. what you mean by that that fancy word you used. Right. Yes, that's true. They, they can handle some grains. They can handle vegetables. And in fact, they're all good for them. Um, unlike, you know, like a, a wolf, a natural wolf. Uh, in the wild would struggle eating the diets that we feed most dogs. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to kind of throw one at you. I know some of the answers if you don't, but mm-hmm. the dog training side of me, there's four things you never give a dog. You know what they are? What's that? So, garlic, uh-huh. onions, grapes and raisins, which are all together, and then obviously chocolate. Right. And everybody's like, why chocolate? And it's there's a particular chemical in um, chocolate that it has to do with the heart mm-hmm. um, and it's your first instinct would say it's caffeine but it's something else in the chocolate that affects the heart yep. um, and the darker the chocolate the worse it is mm-hmm. so while they may be carnivores they can't have those things that's right it, although I will say that they're um, the garlic one that is a fuzzy one because it's okay to a point and to a it point. gets toxic that's correct yep. that's correct yep All absolutely right. So, a very long answer to a pretty short question. Not bad. Um, How about, what do we do for a dog with a sensitive stomach or maybe a dog who already is having some gastrointestinal issues at home? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Now, there are some types of dogs that are more prone to this. Uh, So, if you think boxers or if you think uh, German shepherds, 
a lot of canines uh, in, in police departments really struggle with this. Yep. So um, it can have to do with diet. Some can have to do with nerves. Uh, nerves can really play a part. If you've ever gotten really anxious and then had an upset stomach, you'll know what I'm talking about. But um, there are things that you can give your pet if they are um, struggling with this. If it's something that lasts more than a day or two, I would definitely recommend reaching out to your veterinarian yep. and at least asking some questions over the phone, if not going in for a visit. But um, there are things you can do. Um, one of the things we talked about earlier, you mentioned uh, pumpkin. Pumpkin's a great way to firm up the stool. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we recommend is to boil some rice and throw some chicken in there. That normally helps. Um, but there are some proteins that are easier to digest. And you may find that you have a pet that struggles with, say, with chicken or with beef or with even with fish, which typically is easy to digest, but salmon's a little richer. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, lamb is a fantastic protein that's really easy to digest. So this is where we... Now, If you, I know a lot of times you recommend changing the diet of a dog, you know, yes. mixing it up. But if we have one of these sensitive tummy dogs, if mm-hmm. you find what works, do you just... You don't mess with it? You know, you can actually develop allergies if you are on the exact same food, the protein, uh, one protein for a long time. So I still recommend mixing it up. Um, If nothing else, maybe even changing brands of food, but the same protein. Um, But we have a lot of different um, things that we find will work. Uh, Worst case scenario, if you have to spend the money and get one of the, um, the tests from a vet to see what your pet's allergic to, those can have false positives and false negatives, but that's a great way to figure out at least a baseline of where to start. And even if you're allergic to something, there are ways to to reintroduce those items to a diet to where you can actually overcome that allergy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that would be something we discussed with our veterinarian. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Third question um, comes from the Facebook page, which would be, what is the proper way to switch food? So if you've got a dog and we've been on product X or variety X, how Mm -hmm. do we switch? That's a great question. Okay, so we run across this all the time. So if what I recommend is no more than 20% per day. So adding 20% the first day and taking 80% of the other food out, I'm sorry, adding 80% of the old food, 20% of the new food, Second day, 40% of the new food, 60% of the old food, and so on. It'll take you five days to switch it over, and it should, you know, solve any problems. If you notice any loose stool during that, just stay steady for an extra day where you are. Just stay where you're at. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, So, are there any others? You know, those were the the three that we had on nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything else nutrition-wise that you wanted to kind of talk about? Uh, well, I do have some um, something to talk about in the nutritional nugget. It's actually something we posted on the Facebook page that I was going to cover. Seriously? Yep. Okay, so um, stay tuned for the nutritional nugget, and I guess this is when you get to grill me on the training question. That's right. That's right. Okay, so here's a great question from one of our uh, audience members. It's, uh, is there a difference between positive reinforcement and positive punishment? The, oh, th- this what's is, the difference? Yeah, this is this is like the uh, Wizard of Oz and pulling back the curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, B.F. Skinner came up with the four quadrants of um, behavior. It is positive reinforcement, positive punishment, negative reinforcement, negative punishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make things really simple, I'm just going to completely avoid both of the negative reinforcement and the negative punishment. Okay, I think it just it clouds the water. 
Positive reinforcement would be adding something positive to a situation to get it to repeat and happen more often. Mm-hmm. This would be what I am, a positive reinforcement guy. A lot of people call us cookie trainers because we use lots of food. I like that. Um, positive punishment trainers would be adding a negative to a situation to dis- to decrease the frequency of a behavior. And for me, as a trainer, it comes down to really one simple thing. Are you going to take the time to teach the positive, correct choice and reward the snot out of it so it repeats? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to wait for the dog to make a mistake and then punish in hopes that they don't repeat that behavior? For me, after 13 or 14 years of doing this, I find that when we go positive punishment, uh, most people don't like it because they don't want to do that to the dog. Then training becomes a pain for the owner and it becomes not fun for the dog. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of see it spiral and stop. Flip side, if we can make it fun and the dog's having fun, the owner's having fun. I'm a hand feeding freak. I make people hand feed their dogs for 30 to 60 days at the beginning of training so that we can get them to pay attention and things. Um, but the, I guess the the, the real answer to the question is, are you going to reward good decisions or wait for bad decisions? And I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to throw you know rocks at glass houses. Um, there are even a, a new you know, a generation of trainers that are calling balanced, which mm-hmm. they will use some treat and they will use some positive punishment. Um, I've just found that I can usually get things done pretty quickly with positive reinforcement and I would rather go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's really important, read your reviews, call at least three to five trainers before you pick a trainer and whichever one you jive best with pick because if you don't jive with that trainer, you're not going to, it's, it's not gonna work. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So how can anybody not get along with you though? Oh, it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well on the next question, uh, do dog trainers have to be certified? No, that is, that's probably the biggest shock that most people don't realize is that we live in an unregulated industry. Hmm. Um, anybody can throw a shingle up and say, I'm a dog trainer and I'm a professional. And you ask, well, what does that mean? And they go, well, I've been doing it for 25 years, so I'm a professional. Um, personally, uh, my background's a degree in psychology from the University of Kansas. Um, that's why I've got a pretty good understanding of Pavlov and Skinner. Um, and that's a lot of what I use in the dog training. But I then went to the Association of Professional Dog Trainers, which is then you get shifted over to something called the Certification Council of Professional Dog Trainers, and you take a test. And if you pass, you are going to um, get a certification in dog training. Hmm. And with that, um, again, I think anybody worth their salt, if they want to be a dog trainer, is going to at least get it. And the mm-hmm. other wonderful thing about being certified is almost all the certification groups out there are going to force you to do a certain amount of continuing education. Every right. Day. And I do think that when you quit learning, you quit thinking. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that trainers, you know, have to do their 36 hours or whatever every three years. That's great. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, then for the last question, um, will I always have to use treats? Yeah, this is a good one because I am that cookie trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, people will get into it, and the first question is, well, am I always going to have to have treats in my pocket? The short answer is yes. The long answer is not really. Um, at the very beginning, uh, we're going to use what's called a continual reward schedule, which means every time the dog gives a sit, we're going to give him a treat. And usually that will last anywhere from three to six months, that kind of kind period of lots of cookies. Mm-hmm. 
Then in that second section of training, we do what's called a random reward schedule. And I turn around and I start going, okay, 50% of the time you get a cookie, 50% of the time you get stressed behind the ears and good boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dog starts learning that I can work for life rewards, same as us. Um, and then in the third section, we decide, okay, I'm going to pick a number, let's say 10%. And one out of 10 times now, that dog's going to get a cookie, but now it has to be the best one out of 10. Hmm. They get it. Hmm. So when you're randomizing either rewards or punishment, learning takes place a lot faster, but you might be rewarding the absolute best set and the worst set at the same time because it's random. Hmm. Right. So uh, not to be not to use the pun, but at some point we have to put a point on it and say only the really impressive stuff is going to get a cookie. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, when you're doing a continual reward schedule, it's kind of like a pop machine, dollar in, pop out, dollar in, pop out, dollar in, pop out. You got to shift that because what happens the first time you put a dollar in a pop machine and nothing comes out, you get angry mm-hmm. and you kind of throw a temper tantrum. And lots of dogs who have been over cookied, if they don't get their cookie, they're not going to do the work. Mm-hmm. If we do it the right way, by the end, we are now like a slot machine. I'm going to play for the chance of a reward, not the guarantee of a mm, reward. That's uh, great. But always there'll be some rewarding going on. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Mike. I, I think this is a really interesting podcast and lots of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, we get... love it when you interact with us on Facebook. We do. We, we get do. lonely. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for listening. Now, uh, we have two more parts to it. We have the nutritional nugget, which I will do. And then we have our trainer's tip, which Mike will do. So stick around. Let's take a minute to meet our sponsors. KISS Dog Training stands for Keep It Simple, Stupid. We are Kansas City's train the owner, not the dog company. Just call us at 913-269-7595 for more details. And now, back to the podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. It's Mike with Kiss Dog Training. Today's trainer's tip is going to be the difference between group classes and private in-home training. Um, Lots of times people will always gravitate to the lower price, whether it be training or dog food or veterinary care or whatever. The only thing you got to kind of remember here is in a lot of cases you get what you pay for. I also look at these two options maybe a little differently than the average folks. I will not call my group class a beginner class. So let's start with why. I don't think beginner classes are the place to learn beginner things. When you're in a group class full of six or eight other dogs and trying to learn new techniques with your dog you're dealing with distraction on one side and learning on the other and those two things are kind of hard to handle sometimes so a lot of times you'll find people who will pay you know 250 bucks for a group class they'll make it through three weeks of the class and they quit out of frustration because the dog's out of control it's not learning whereas I'm looking at it from the standpoint of don't worry if the dog is learning. I really want the dog to learn impulse control and frustration tolerance. So what I call a group class is a finishing class. And I think it is something that you do after you learn the techniques in the home where you need them. So I prefer in-home private training. Obviously, it's more expensive because it's one-on-one time with a trainer. 
But if you go through, let's say, two to three sessions with a trainer at home, you're pretty easily going to be able to handle, you know, learn sit down, watch me, leave it. You're going to probably be able to work inside the house, in the backyard, in the front yard, the driveway. You might even make it out to the first couple of walks, okay? At that point, your dog has all the tools in the toolkit to then be put into a distracting environment like a group class with six or eight other dogs, 10 or 12 other people. They already know the basics, but they've never been asked to do those basics in front of the distractions of a class. So, which one's better? I don't think one's better than the other, but I do think most people who call my business are looking for problems that happen inside the home or around the home. Those need to be addressed privately in your home or around the home so we can see the problem, where it's happening, and give you one-on-one coaching to fix it. I think once you have a basic understanding with your dog and things are going pretty well, I think a finishing class in a group setting is an awesome way to kind of do finishing or grad work, I guess, if you wanted to look at it that way. So, don't think one is any better than the other, but don't always gravitate to the lower price first. Call around, talk, tell them what you're wanting to accomplish, and let us try to uh, put you in the spot where we think you're going to get the best bang for your buck long term, not short term. So we'll see you guys next time. And again, this is Mike with Kiss Dog Training, and you're listening to the 12-Minute Dog Podcast. There's a reason why the only dry food we carry is Nature Select. It's because we feel it is the healthiest, most nutritious pet food for your pet. After 27 years, it's never been recalled and has only gotten better with time. We love it, and we know your pet will too. Free home delivery from your favorite local pet food supply. Hey guys, it's Emery Kittle and I'm here for the Nutritional Nugget. All right, today we're going to talk about something that's dangerous for your dogs. It can be dangerous for your cat too, but not as much, mainly dogs and, and ferrets. But what we're talking about today is xylitol. It's a type of sugar, and it's um, in a lot of sugar-free desserts and items, sugar-free gum, you know, breath mints, cough syrup, mouthwash, toothpaste, vitamins, some peanut and nut butters even. So if you're buying something for your home and it says sugar-free, definitely take a look at the ingredients if you have pets. So... The main name for this is xylitol, but just recently they've re, um, relabeled it as birch sugar and wood sugar. So those are two things you need to look out for as well. So birch sugar and wood sugar. So why is xylitol dangerous for dogs? Well, obviously people can eat it and it doesn't cause any problems, but xylitol in dogs affects the release of insulin in your pet. And so in people, it's a slow release and it doesn't seem to have any problems. But when dogs eat something containing xylitol, the xylitol is more quickly absorbed into the bloodstream, which may result in a potent release of insulin from the pancreas. So this can occur within 10 minutes to an hour after eating something. And so um, anyway, that the rapid release of insulin is also known as hypoglycemia. And so if left, if left untreated, this can quickly be life-threatening. So that's something if you find out your dog did eat something with xylitol or with 
you know, as they call it now, birch sugar or wood sugar, you need to get your dog to the vet right away. So symptoms of it uh, include vomiting, and that can be followed by symptoms uh, with a sudden lowering of your dog's blood sugar, such as decreased activity, uh, staggering around, uh, collapse, weakness, and, and then even seizures. So anyway, that's what we're talking about today. Many, many people have xylitol in their home in some form or another. So just want to make sure you're super aware. I know my dogs tend to get in the pantry from time to time. Yes, they're not the best trained dogs always. So just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Hopefully this will uh, save one of your pet's lives. Thanks so much and you have a great day. Mm-hmm.